Welcome, Riddles in the Dark listeners, to the very first Digest episode of Season 2. I am Trish Lambert, host of, co-host of Riddles in the Dark with the Tolkien Professor Corey Olson and the illustrious Dave Kale, and also co-host of the Riddles in the Dark Digest with none other than Laura Burkholz. Now, you all may not, the newer people may not know who Laura Burkholz is, but those of us that have been around a while are very familiar with her. She has been a mover and shaker in the background, making things happen. And I'm just thrilled to have you on the show, Laura. Welcome. And that's, you know, my intro. I actually will leave it to you to kind of, why don't you fill in the caps a little okay. bit? <laughs> well, thanks, Trish. It's, it's great to be here. And you make me sound much more important than I am, but I guess I don't get the illustrious title yet that Dave Kale has. But yeah, I, I've been doing uh, production work for the Tolkien Professor for a while. Been doing the Silmarillion seminar and uh, the Fairy and Fantasy uh, class, and so I've, I've kind of been in the background. But uh, but you know, I I also used to be the one of the co-hosts of Secrets of Middle Earth with Father Roderick, and we had Dave Kale for a little while. Um, and Inga Lutz, so it's it's nice to be back here. That's so you're st- you're you're part of the, you're part of that whole the whole group. You just have been you know kind of behind the curtain. Well, not I'm not totally either because anybody that listens to the Summerlin seminar, we hear your dulcet tones from time to time, inserting this something you know very this very wise and, and thought provoking about the Summerlin. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, yes, extremely wise. So. <laughs> Well, good. Well, we're off to a season here with with the Digest. Um, Our plan right now is to do one episode per show and have the shows be shorter. I know some of our listeners will be happy to hear that. That's the plan. (laughs) Um, That's the plan so far, yes. As anybody who knows the Token Professor podcast, this could change, but, you know, that's our plan. So today we're doing one one episode. Well, let's jump into season two, episode 2.01. Which uh, was titled, is titled, still is titled, Ursa Major or Ursa Minor. So we, we kicked off the second season. Oh, wait a minute. Before we do this, I want to back up. You have not had a chance to go on record with your thoughts about the first movie. What did you think I of the first movie? I have not. Oh, you know, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, I've, I've only seen it twice, unlike some of our listeners, probably seen it multiple <laughs> times. But um, I enjoyed it, especially the second time, because some of the things that I found a little jarring in the first, I mean, the same things that bother everyone, you know, the, the rock'em, sock'em robots, you know, and the um, – and the the bunny sled and the bird poop and all that. It's like, yeah, okay, we know that's coming up, so you don't have to worry about that so much. And, um, you know, the the things that I really liked about it, I really enjoyed the characterizations in the film. I, I thought that they did even a better job than they did in Lord of the Rings. For instance, with Thorin, you know, I found him an extremely compelling character, um, which – you know, surprised me a little bit considering how they treated, you know, Strider and Faramir in the, right. in the first series of movies. You know, they made Thorne even more noble instead of less noble and just a much more sympathetic character. So I really enjoyed that part of it. So I, I really enjoyed the films. I really did, did like them. Yeah, I did, too. You know, I mean, I, film. people ask me. I guess I, it's only I, one film yet. Film. <laughs> so far. I'm anticipating the future films. <laughs> yeah, we're hoping that we're going to enjoy the other two. Um, I feel kind of the same way. I mean, I, there are, I can't give, you know, I can't say, oh, I just loved it. I thought it was awesome the whole way through because 
you know, there were things that I found jarring. I think probably my biggest jar, and I shared this, I think, Azog, I think, probably jarred me the most. You know, for some people, it was the Goblin King. And it wasn't so much Azog's presence. I mean, I already had already been warned about him. Mm -hmm. It was kind of really more the CGI. I mean, I just, I know, I know it was, what do they call that? It's not stuff action, but you know, that where I know it was like how they do like Gollum. Motion capture. Motion capture. Motion capture. But he just didn't look, he didn't, he looked like something out of a video game. No, I never saw it. I never saw it in the, the higher frames per second. Did you? So maybe that was yeah. That's all I saw. You think maybe I should go try it? Well, when I get my um, yeah, DVD, then you can see because I didn't. It, it didn't bother me. You know, CGI really? doesn't really bother me that much. Um, you know, maybe because I've seen quite a few films like that, and I'm willing to just sit back and say, okay, you know, right. Well, you I know. mean, the thing for me is like the trolls didn't bother me. Goblin King yeah. didn't bother me. I mean, from the point of the you know character. There was just some, maybe it was just like the pale, something about the color that didn't work. For, I don't know. It was just weird. But anyway, so, but that, but maybe other than that, I mean. stick sticking out of his arm. <laughs> it was, that was pretty, pretty grotesque. Um, but I, overall, I mean, I think given the fact that there's just no way you're going to be able to be true to the book. I was thinking about this the other day because yeah. I was at, I was at Valparaiso last weekend, weekend before last. Um, and I was, I gave a paper, actually I gave a paper on the evolution of The Hobbit from, uh, from spoken story to written story to film. And I was there with Dr. Flieger, Verlin Flieger, who I'm actually taking a course from now. And, and so we, I schmoozed with her over lunch and she's very definitely not in favor of the movies. I mean, she has not yeah. seen The Hobbit. And so when, you know, oh, we, really? I would say, I'd say something like, yeah, and I would, I think I told her that, um, you know, like for example, Thorne's characterization was much more the, uh, Shakespearean, you know, like the Prince Without a Country and much more of that kind of character. She she didn't say anything, but there was like a look on her face like, hmm, not sure I like that. <laughs> like yeah. She's already predisposed not to like the films. The thing is, you can't, I mean, I don't know, you know, you can't be a purist. I mean, I saw, I, I rewatched the movie Stardust a couple weeks ago. I had seen the movie before I read the book in Dr. Olson's class, and then I saw the movie again. I mean, you want to talk about deviating from the book. I mean, there oh, was yeah. no transvestite ship captain in the book. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. That's right. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah. you know, and I mean, so. Well, I, I should be thankful there any... is no transvestite <laughs> ship captain in any of the Lord of the Rings films. Or any thought could have been a transvestite orc. I it suppose. can always be worse. But no, I mean, you know, I think uh, Dr. Olson made a um, made a point that you kind of you have to tell a bit of a different story in the film than you're telling in the books. You know, it's a, it's a different medium, you know, and it's not very interesting if you just go up there and just, you know, do the exact same thing they did in the book. It's almost like, you know, what's the, what's the point of even doing it? So, so, you know, I knew they were going to make changes and I liked them. You know, I I think in in the first Lord of the Rings movies, they made changes to, to the characterizations that I didn't like. So, Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. but, um, I mean, I don't know how I would have been if I'd seen it, you know, without having done a year's worth of riddles in the dark, but, well, that's uh, true too. Kind of prepare. So that kind of brings us to the first question. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. How will the film treat Bayern's relationship with Goblin? So, so you know, are we? The question is, are they going to stick more with the book? Are they going to go off and do something else? Uh, Let's let's 
Let's read. I'll read the. So the riddle is: How will the film treat Bayorn's relationship with the goblins? So A is he resents them for displacing him from his mountain territory, which is basically the book answer. B is he has a more personal grudge against them from his own or family history, i.e. they killed my parents or similar. Um, C, his hatred against the goblins is in some way explicitly linked to Thorne and his family's history. Or D, he has no particular grudge against goblins at all. So um, I can't, let's see, what did I say? I, I think I did the, hold on, I've got the grid right here. Dun, 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 dun. I said B. Okay. Yeah, I said B. You said B. So, well, <laughs> I'm going to say A. I'm going to say A. Right. And and I'll tell you why. Because, you know, it, it seems like in the films they may uh, change a character's motivation, but they don't completely come up with something new. Like, for instance, Faramir right. had, the, had these daddy issues, you know, and that was kind of in the book. You know, and yeah. and Strider a little bit was a little bit wondering, you know, what his place was in the world. And so I think with Bjorn, they're just going to take the fact that he was displaced from his mountain territory. Not only him, but, it, um, you know, also uh, the bears, you know, the, the, the bears were also displaced because of the goblins. And I think they're just going to play that up. You know, they're going right. to picture him as being territorial. He's he's kind of an animalistic kind of guy anyway. So, um, and then as far as, you know, they kill my parents, I mean, Bjorn, I believe, is very old, although I don't know if that's definitive or not. So, you know, it's almost like he can't really have a family. So I would say that it's going to be more like, you know, I used to live in the mountains so many ages ago, and... Um, I hate these goblins. They took it over and they, you know, destroyed my homeland. Kind of like a parallel with the dwarves losing their homeland in Erebor, which they've already played up that aspect of it. Right. So I right. think a. I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to, they're going to um, have him resent resentful for displacing him, but it's going to be more explicit in the movies. That's what. That's my opinion. Well, you know, and I can see that. And the thing is, you know, I, I, I think I should, I think my answer should probably, all of my answers should probably be mistrusted. I mean, first of all, I, I got, I think the lowest or one of the lowest scores of anybody in the whole game last year. And, and one of the reasons was, and again, I think I'm demonstrating it with this answer too, is I expect Jackson to change more than he actually does. You know, that's one of the reasons yeah. why I got such a low score is that I just had no faith in Jackson. And, um, I think my reasoning behind B this time around was, was I think because of, at least in the first movie, we did see some, we did see some motivations kind of get magnified, I thought, in, in instances, you know, like, like, like for example, in the book, this whole issue of losing his home really wasn't that big of an issue. I mean, in the book, it's really more, we, we want to get back to the Lonely Mountain. At least in the beginning of the book, it was, we want to get back to the Lonely Mountain and get the treasure. Yeah, you know, exactly. Dragon, get the stuff. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't about, I must have my home back. I mean, I think it got to be a little bit more like that, you know, toward the end of the book. Whereas in, in the movie, I mean, that's from the very beginning. And, um, and then, you know, that whole, uh, Soliloquy, or not soliloquy, but basically speech that Bilbo does after they come out of the Misty Mountains, you know, about I'll help you find your home and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and also things like, well, this isn't so much of a magnification, but I would say the um, the acceleration of Bilbo's character arc so that he actually, you know, goes from zero to hero pretty much in the first movie, uh, as mm -hmm. opposed to in the book where it takes until the spiders for that to happen, or at least to begin to happen. Um, so that's kind of what I was thinking of is like, 
I think at the time we did the episode, and I, I'm not sure where I'm at. I mean, I'm going to stick with B because that's what I said. But I can see your point, you know, why, you know, why there's not really that much of a reason for Jackson to magnify him. I mean, he's already going to be a scary enough character. And we exactly. already know that there's a yeah. scene where he literally skins. And as far as I know, it's act, we actually see it. You know how in the book he comes back and he's got what, like he's got an orc head and a wolf skin? I yes. think he has. And he says, yes. I interrogate. Apparently in the movie, we actually see the scene where he tortures the orc and the wolf. Yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm a little worried about that. That's going to be a little gruesome. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping yeah. they, I hoping, I'm hoping it's mostly happening off camera. So, or I mean, yeah, I, the reason I think we're going to see that is because of the, um, um, the guy who plays Bjorn. Yeah, I heard that. It. There's an extended torture scene. Well, I'm hoping but that maybe it's they not... won't have it in the, yeah, maybe they'll, maybe they'll get cut. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When the, you know, hopefully we won't be dealing with an R rating or something on this film. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and, would, and the thing that would is, you know, no, that they would not want that at all. Um, no, that'd be a financial disaster for him too. It would be. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could definitely get A because also, you know, even in the book, I mean, and I've I've been trying to find it, but I can't find it. But you know, where Gandalf goes into some some detail and he he talks about he's a skin changer but there's actually a point where he makes the point of saying that he's you know wild beast as well as man and uh, don't go outside at night you know no matter what or i think the orn even tells him that um so actually i actually have a little quote here so um i have the kindle edition so i can't give you the page so do i and so do i yeah i can't i don't either but it's in it's in um it's in queer lodgings and it's towards the beginning they are um they're i believe they're still on the Karak, and he's yeah he gandalf was talking about him um he talks about him, yeah, being a skin changer, and then it says, as a bear, he ranges far and wide. I once saw him sitting all alone on the top of the Karak at night, watching the moon sinking towards the misty mountains, and I heard him growl in the tongue of bears, the day will come back when they will perish, and I shall go back. That is why I believe he once came from the mountains himself. So I'm thinking the filmmaker's going to take that and run with it. So that's why You're right. I mean, I could, yeah. and I could even see Gandalf saying almost that very line, given how Jackson used lines from the book, you know, in exactly. the first movie. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, having him be a bear is scary enough. <laughs> yes. And, and mm-hmm. also, you're right. I mean, ha- losing his home in the mountains is probably enough motivation. I, I, and the other reason I answered B, I remember, is because I was thinking that he, you know, I was concerned about him being a loose end and the fact that Jackson would want to tie him into the story into somehow. Him. I think. Well, I think yeah. that's possible too. You know, we just have to yeah. wait and see. I guess. Yeah. No, and it, it wouldn't be any fun if we all said the same thing. So, mm-hmm. so no. I mean, I could definitely see A. I could definitely see A. Now, um. Let me go to Mark Fisher, who is the one person I, I, I have to make a mea culpa to the listeners. I um in, in the in the um, um tradition of my predecessor, <laughs> the lovely Dave Kale, I was slow off the mark getting in touch with the analysts. Um I, I have emailed them and you know, they, they do know that the um the season has you know swung into into uh, into place. But um uh, I, I need to you know, they need time to be able to listen to the episodes before they can actually put their answers up. But Mark Fisher was was very quick off the mark. He actually noticed that we'd started before I ever got in touch with him. So he did write in. Let me read what he says here. It occurred to me that Bjorn's story could be neatened up quite nicely by changing the mountains, quote unquote, where he originated to just the mountain. In other words, to have had him driven out of the lands around the Lonely Mountain. That would make him a natural ally of Thorin, maybe even a subject, 
and would completely explain his eagerness to join in the Battle of Five Armies. That all seems a bit over-elaborate, though. I think the movies will still work perfectly well if his attitude is just goblins, I hate these guys, and there will be no need to invent too much unnecessary background. I do think they'll want to give him a little more motivation in the bo- than in the book, though, and I think the idea of a personal grudge makes sense as a straightforward way of doing that. So I'll go for a B here. Oh, my gosh, he's going mm. for a B. Oh, so, okay. Well, that's interesting to, to have him coming from the area around the Lonely Mountain instead of the Misty yeah, Mountains. But I don't know. I, I don't know if, if they'll do that because, you know, they've just come from the Misty Mountains. Bjorn lives near the Misty Mountains. Right. So right. that that would be that would be a big change. I don't I don't see them doing that, but that's Besides interesting. Which that's I would interesting. Think, well, of course we don't know this whether Thorne's going to know about Bjorn or not, but he certainly hasn't mentioned him. You'd think if he had come from the Lonely Mountain, Thorne would that's either, right. He would know him, of him yes. or know him. Yeah, yeah. And he hasn't said anything about him. So well, Bjorn seems to know Thorin or of Thorin anyway when they meet. He does in the yeah. Hobbit. Yeah, because he says Thorin, son of Thrain, son of Thor. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. But and I could see that still being in place in the movie where Thorne doesn't really know him, but he knows of Thorne. Yeah. Which of course yeah. Thorne will think. Well, of course you would know me. I am. Well, yeah. I am. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> I'm a hot dwarf. I am. Why wouldn't you know me? I am Thorne no longer with the Oaken Shield. That's right. That's right. Oh, <laughs> did you see? I don't know if you saw *Bond Rebels in the Dark*. I, I think I mentioned this to you the other day, but I, if the listeners haven't seen it, some of the listeners have actually taken these 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 images and made them into their like. Profile pictures, you know, for their Facebook. Mm-hmm. Somebody, it was through, I think it was through OneRing.net. But anyway, some some person who has way too much time on their hands did, um, I guess, paintings, really, you know, of of, yeah. of some of the photos we've seen of Thorin and, and Dwalin yeah. and inserted fraggles in, in with them. So, like, the one where Thorin is like, got his arms crossed, he's got his arm crossed across one of the fraggles. <laughs> And Dwalin's got a fraggle on his on his shoulder. It's, I, I I posted them up on the up on I the Riddles of the Dark see that. site. Very uh, funny. And then a couple of people have actually adopted them as profile pictures. But it's so funny because you've got this very intense looking Thorin yes. with this little fraggle. <laughs> anyway, I don't know why uh, I thought of that just now, but I guess I was thinking because Thorin is so full of himself. You know, he is very it. yes. He's he's proud. He's proud. He's proud. He is. And we he's we just, know what happens to to pride. In Tolkien, yeah. at least. So I know this is yeah, this is true. But anyway, but well, so we have a now we may be sparse. Oh, let me go back actually before we do this. Let me go back and and just report what everybody else has has um has said or well of those folks who have predicted. Come on, there we go. Um, and also at, at the same time, let you know who at least as far as I know is still in the running as far as doing analyst stuff. So we have uh, Corey said A, so you're in good company there. Corey and Dave actually both said A. No, I'm sorry. Take that back. Corey said B. So Corey and I both said B uh, on this okay. one. Dave said A. So Dave said A. And then you're an A, right? So we'll, and you can put that in later. Now, Scott Holbrook-Faust, who's joining us as an analyst, he has not. Uh, he's another, he's a MythGuard faculty. Those of you that at the MythMoot would know him, and he's also the admin of the MythMoot page on, on Facebook. Um, he will weigh in later. Mark Fisher, we said B. Arwen Kester uh, of the of Middle Earth News has not weighed in yet, um, but I will be reminding her if uh, if I have not heard. Uh, I just lost my place. Sean Gunner of the Tolkien Society over in the UK has not weighed in yet. Father Roderick is still the way in, but he's busy doing Pope stuff in Rome right at the moment. He is, um, yes. <laughs> Emil Johansson, who, by the way, um, I saw today on my news stream, at, uh, I think it's at... Um, 
I think it's at the no, it's Middle Earth News. It's it's Middle Earth Radio, uh, Middle Earth News. Their shop, Emil has the lo, the LOTR project where he does mm-hmm. these amazing kind of mathematical and statistical analyses of of Tolkien's works. He's got they've got posters now of stuff like, mm. for example, the History of the Ring and the Timeline of the Elves and the number and character mentions in the Hobbits. He's I mean they're, they're oh, yeah. amazing. Posters. So anyway, lotrproject.com is his site if anybody wants to go see. Now, he has not said yet. Now, American Golden Star of Casual Stroll to Mordor, which is the podcast slash radio show on Middle Earth Network, they both said A. So there you go. Hmm. So, so far, A. All right. We've got Hannah Harlow from Hat Mifflin Harcourt, Lillian Elorial from Warriors of the Westfold, and The Last Alliance, which is the group up in um, uh, uh, Alberta, uh, the, the Tolkien... Oh gosh, the Tolkien Club. I don't remember. The, well, anyway, they're they're up at the university, and I guess the University of Alberta, I think. Um, and so we still need to hear from them. And then the Facebook. So far, the consensus of Facebook listeners who have voted on the on the uh, an, you know the question so far, the leading answer so far is B. Yeah. So that's where we are with them. So it seems. Actually that, so no, nobody did C or D. Uh, nobody did C or D so far. Now, I don't know, maybe, now you know better than I do, because I'm going to turn it over to you now to talk about the listener comments. I wonder if somebody, if anybody said C or D out of those guys. Oh, actually, actually they did. So these are some comments from um, the MythGuard site. And the first one is from Mr. Underhill, who you'd think would be an expert. Um, (laughs) And he says, I think C, Bjorn's hatred against the goblins will in some way be explicitly linked to Thorne and his family history, because the first movie seems to have taken pains to give Thorne more backstory than strictly necessary, thus making me predisposed to think other aspects of future films may do the same. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I can see. I can see that. So, uh, and then we also have Hamfast. He says, I think probably C, and the film will open with scenes of Thrain being tortured in Dol Guldor for the ring and possibly encountering Bayorn there. Wow. So that's an inter- that's interesting, Bayorn and Dol Guldor, and, um, or maybe Bayorn's hanging out outside of Dol Guldor and runs into Thrain. So. Which, you know, brings up, a, brings up something that I hadn't actually thought of before, but we may see Bayorn at the Battle of Dol Guldor. We we very well well uh, maybe yeah we very well you know as kind of a foreshadowing to which would be another maybe another you know justification as to why he would join the Battle of Five Armies I mean he may show up you know once we've met him in the second movie because I'm assuming the battle of, we've been assuming the Battle of Dolgoldor is going to take take place in the second movie I mean he might be there I hadn't actually thought of that possibility mm-hmm. be in there yeah. All right. And then we have Michael Lucero who says, I actually think there are a number of possibilities y'all didn't consider. Bjorn could hate the goblins, not because of anything that happened to him in the past, but because they invaded his home due to him giving the dwarves shelter. Have it happen after or during their stay there, and then having him go to Erebor as revenge on them for destroying his home, not in the mountains, but in the home the dwarves stay at. Or more likely, he could just hate the goblins simply because he thinks they're vile scum and have to be stamped out. I don't think either one of these possibilities fits any of the choices y'all have given us. He must be a southerner, huh? If I had to yeah. choose just one of your answers, though, I'd stick with A. So that's interesting. He has the goblins come down and, and actually um, invade you know, the, where he's living at present. 
you know, that would that right. would give some some interesting action scenes, but I'm not sure they need to put more in the movie than you know they're already trying yeah. to. And there's yeah. a lot to cover in movie two, so I don't I don't know about. And I would say you could just hate the Gunson because he thinks they're vile scum. I think that could still be a. I think is that a. Is is Ava? Oh, that not her. Still no, he her. Yeah, that was still. Yeah, that's still. Yeah, so, yeah, and then yeah, you're right. I mean, it's interesting. It's an interesting thing, but you're right. I mean, I don't think they'd want to go that elaborate. I mean, you know, I think they're going to stick pretty close to the story, really, the book. Sorry, I think so too. Yes. And then the last prediction we have is from Mark, who says B. Since Azog has been established as the villain in the movie, I think Baron will have a personal score to settle with him, either from some act in the past, or something that happens from the time the doors leave till the Battle of the Five Armies begins. It will also place him near Thorin during the battle. Um, and he predicts that Azog will be fighting Thorin in the battle. Azog will mortally wound Thorin, but Bjorn shows up and kills Azog before he can deliver the killing blow to Thorin. Then he will carry Thorin from the field of battle. That'd be very mm. dramatic. Yeah, that that would be that would be nice if they would do something like that. So see, Dave. I think Dave and I think Corey too might be convinced that Azog is going to die in the second movie, and I'm not necessarily convinced. Um, I don't think they're going to – no. I mean, they built him up so much that it'd be tough for them to get rid of him in the second movie. You know, I think they're going to need to carry him as the bad guy all the way through the final battle because Smog is going to be dead, you know. Um, right, right. So I think – Well, I think the, the interest. Uh, I think the logic is is that Bolg is going to show up, you know, because apparently Bolg is the uh, – the head of torture at Dol Guldur, that's apparently his, you know, what I've read of his characterization so far. So I have a feeling we're going to actually get to meet Bold more up close and personal um, in the second movie. And I can't remember if it was Dave or somebody else that, that, that theorized that what may happen is somehow Azog may end up getting killed either at the Battle of Dol Guldur or someplace else. And then Bold takes on the I must avenge my father's death thing. And then he, he then he, then the story kind of weaves back into the book again where he shows up yeah. in five armies to avenge his yeah. father. So that's, you know, that's another possibility. And I would, if I had not seen actually pictures of Bold, you know, from the movie, mm -hmm. I would probably be sitting here thinking, saying to you, I don't see why they would need Bold if they're going to keep Azog alive. I mean, you know, yeah. so I'm not, so now I'm kind of confused as to how we're going to, you know, how Bold's going to, because he's, he's really, I mean, he's even worse than his dad in terms of the way, you know, how scary he looks. Oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. So they're just, yeah. Well, that that could be too. That could be too. It it just seems to me they've built up Azog so much to kill him I off know. in the second movie. You know, I suppose that if his son is carrying the torch for him, that could be some continuity there. Well, I guess the other thing is Azog may stay alive when both son, father and son go into the battle. Kind of a little yeah. bit of a repeat of, as an old as an old yeah. bizarre scene, you know? Yeah, that's true. So. All right, you know, well, and Thorin well, may kill Azog, and then Bolg go after Thorin, and then Bayorn kill Thorin. You know, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so a, that, riddle that's for, a riddle for another time, right? <laughs> yeah, for the third movie. For maybe. the third movie. <laughs> I see okay. we have some some serving animal in. We do. We have here. some other. Um, we have some other discussions, not predictions, but other comments. From Tony, it says, with regard to Bjorn's serving animals, I always interpreted them as just animals, but extraordinarily well-trained animals, kind of like the dogs, for instance, are performing an extremely elaborate trick for which they were trained by Bjorn for the purpose of amusing himself and his infrequent guests. 
And then Adam says, I had thought similar to Tony, that the, ad- that the animals were just elaborately trained to the extent of being magic beyond the animal's capacity alone. Bjorn's presence or influence is enabling or creating this. So that's, you know, I hadn't thought about that, how, how it is the animals. Because this is the only place in Tolkien we see anything like this. Where, right. You know, and in fact, it's interesting because Dr. Flieger points, the, points to the, the, the serving animals in her opinion as, um, as one place where the interconsistency of reality falls short, you know, that it doesn't work in her opinion in The Hobbit but, by, but, by Tolkien's definition of interconsistency of reality. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple things that aren't completely internally consistent. You know, Tom Bombadil is kind of out of left field and, you know, some other right. things. But, um, but, I think I think what he says makes sense though. You know, Bayorn has sort of you well, Bayorn doesn't really fit that well either, you know. No. To be a skin changer, you know, where does that except come from? That, that apparently told, in fact one of the one of the talks at Valparaiso was about this and basically the guy at one point says Tolkien was just dying to stick a bear man in his story somewhere. Well there you there you go. There you go. So he he does have this sort of power and, you know, he's using this with the animals he's he's enchanting them or he's um you know kind of like maybe like with the elves how they taught the trees to talk he's he's taught well, and, you know, actually, the animals right. and, to be really good servants um yeah you know i i for dr flieger's class that i'm taking which is the world of tolkien i think it's tolkien's world i forget the name of it now but anyway um i'm re rereading or actually re-listening it or listening for the first time actually rob inglis's audiobook of the lord of the rings and uh in the two towers the oh, scene, which is oh excellent. god oh i i could do a whole other podcast with you about listening as opposed to reading i think i'm an auditory <laughs> learner i'm picking up so much more than you know all the other however many times i've read it before but there's a there's a, a thing in there where uh you know the writers of the Rittermark give horses to uh, aragorn and legolas and gimli says thanks but no thanks and and so Legolas tells them, well, yeah, I don't need a bridle or a saddle on my horse. And so they take the bridle and saddle off, and he just jumps up and set, and talks to the horse, and the horse does what he wants. And so that's to your point about mm-hmm. the fact that the elves talk to the trees, and obviously elves have the thing with the animals. And I've always thought kind of the same thing with, you know, if an elf can do that, here you've got Bjorn, who is closer to animals himself than an elf is. <laughs> And that I've always just yes. kind of thought that the animals were elaborately trained animals. You know, I, that, uh, that not, not so much magic, but because he communicates with them, you know, and so he basically has quote unquote trained them by communicating with them and, you know, asking for what he wants of them and they've complied. And I, you know, I mean, I suppose I could get that because I mean, I kind of do that with my dogs, although I don't think I communicate with them as easily as, as they aren't communicates with animals, his animals. But it's kind of the same thing, you know, when you're training a dog or training a horse, you know, you're asking them for what you want them to do, and they either comply or they don't comply. Now, what he's having them do is serve, you know, food, but I don't see any reason why. Not that we could train dogs to do that. <laughs> Maybe even horses. Anyway, I, I tend to agree with yeah. Tony and, and who is it, Adam. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, um, I didn't yeah. I didn't find, you know, Dr. Flieger says that that takes her out of, you know, uh, out of the secondary world. I never, it never really took me out. I mean, it just to me. It seemed to me to follow, you know, you got this bear man. It totally made sense that he would have animals mm-hmm. serving, you know, servants. He wouldn't have people. So anyway, that's my, yeah. that's my yeah. 10 cents, five times two cents. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then um, he goes on to talk about uh, 
beyond size. So um, it says, as regards size, he'll look like he'll be big. Even if this set is built for Bilbo, the more likely it's for the doors in Bilbo, then he could well be a little too large. Although judging from the top image, oh, I didn't see this image. Oh. Bilbo will probably come to his mid-thigh, so perhaps it, about, it is about right. Well, in the book it says, you know, Bayarn's wearing a tunic down to his knees, and Bilbo could walk underneath the fringe of his tunic. <laughs> so that is a one tall guy. And, and that's also a mental picture I don't like to have. But anyway. It is kind of. So, so he's going to be a tall. He's going to be tall. He's, he's yeah, going to you know, be really it's tall. Really bad. I mean, I oh. cannot stop thinking Paul Bunyan when I think they are. You know, when we get to talking about him, because, you know, Paul Bunyan had really dark hair and dark, you know, dark beard and was really huge and stuff. And I, it's just, it's terrible. I've got yeah. the two kind of, you know. I mean, Paul Bunyan wasn't a bear man. I don't think Paul, I don't think Paul Bunyan, but I do think, you know, a, a giant, I think more like a giant bear-like right. man. Um I think of him more like a giant grizzly Adam. Yeah, there you go. Not a Paul Bunyan. Grizzly Adam. That could work too. That could work too. (laughs) Okay. And then um, Michael also wrote on Facebook here. It says, one thing I think they have to be careful with is making Bayarn too much of a vengeful character. In the book, his vengeance upon the goblins is gruesome, sure, but it's never cast in a morally doubtful light, but rather just another piece of evidence of his wildness. But Jackson and company have already gone out of their way to establish the idea that hatred of the goblins, and even more so, vengeful vengeful hatred, hatred of the goblins, is a bad thing and a sign that a person is slipping towards corruption. Although this is different from the book, yeah. Jackson is just telescoping and expanding on things that happen in The Hobbit. Thorne does not actually become morally compromised. He does actually become morally uh, not Just not this early and not for this right. exact reason. While establishing Bjorn as a parallel to Thorne would not just be a change of time or degree, but a change in character as well. So, And then Dennis makes a good point in reply. It says, he says, Michael, are you suggesting that Bayern's capture, torture, and murder of an orc and warg, not to mention hanging their remains on his fence for trophies, is cast in a moral light? Not trying to stoke a fire here, just curious. I recently read The Hobbit to my eight-year-old son, which I've, I've been doing that too, and it occurred to me just how out of place that is in a children's book. So, you know, that's true. In in the book, it's it's he doesn't make a big deal out of it, but it's not it's not exactly passed off as a good thing to do. It's more, it's it's definitely a scary thing to do. And Gandalf makes the point, well, you don't want to have Bayorn as your enemy. Right. You know, it's a good thing he's on our side. You know, I, I um, this is this is probably gender stereotyping I'm about to do. But, you know, I, I one thing that I do think of when I read Dennis's is is that um, in an earlier draft of the book, the troll scene um, is much more uh, violent. It's much more it's not as you know, it's not as yeah. funny. Um, and and I just and I. I just can't help but think that his audience was three little boys <laughs> who generally speaking, little boys don't have it, you know, don't have a big issue with kind of blood and guts and rage. You know what oh, I mean? It's like, yes. Speaking of yeah. experience, they love that right. stuff. The more torture right. and right. chopping off of limbs. And, and I don't, and I don't think that's changed. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's because of video games or anything like TV today. I think it's just, that's kind of generally speaking, Kind of how little boys are oriented. Yeah, exactly. 
So uh, I've yeah. always thought that he made things a little bit more gruesome, you know, because of, you know, because of his, chi- you know, his children's, you know, his boys being the audience initially, and then maybe he toned some of the stuff down. I mean, who knows? I wonder, I, I, I do know, you know, like in the book, this is, you know, he, it, like the actual torture and killing happens off stage, you know, thank you, thank you, Dr. Polkin for that. Um, yes. Yes, but I don't know. You know, like you said, it, it doesn't it doesn't belong in a children's book. Well, I don't know. I think it. You know, at the time, I. It, you know. Well, um, in a you know, in a book, it's easier to sort of you know. There's a couple things in that book that I skip really? over when I when I read it yeah. to my son. Yeah, just a, just a couple lines here and there. But in a movie, it's tougher. You know, because how you know how are you going to show that? But I think with Bayorn, I don't think they're going to make him vengeful in the same way Thorn right. is. Because I don't think he's going to be proud. I think he's going to be more vengeful in the way, like, an animal would be vengeful or, or, you know, more territorial, more, um, more, you know, against orcs in general instead of having a grudge against one particular one. The thing with Bayorn, and actually this could make a really interesting paper, I suppose, but I think what you just said makes me think of this, too. I mean, Bayorn... In the book, and I would imagine Jackson, I could see Jackson doing the same thing in the movie, is not cast as either moral or immoral. He's basically a, you know, he's he's a wild animal, basically. Yeah, it's like a wild exactly. animal. Exactly, yeah. It, it's kind of the thing, and it's kind of the sort of thing an animal would right. do. And there's so. no right, wrong, it's just I did it. I did this kind of thing. I, yes. I needed information. Yeah. This is how I did it, you know. And it's like he's not going to worry too much about. It. Mm-hmm. But you're right, because Gandalf basically makes it clear, at, at, you know, earlier that, that Bayorn is that way, you know, that and don't, you know, you don't want to encounter him when he's when he's a bear, you know. So it's like it's, that's right. You don't want to go outside right. when he's, you know, stay inside at night because you don't know what's that's right. Uh, that's right. What's what's going to be out there anyway? Yeah. So I that's kind of my so. thought about. about about him. I mean, I don't think, I, hopefully Jackson's not going to go moral one way or the other on us in the movie. It, it'll be interesting to see if he succeeds, actually, if he, if he is, intends to and then succeeds to actually show Bjorn more wild animal in his motivations mm-hmm. than anything else. I hope he does. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> well, that's, that's it, huh? Any, right. That's, uh, yeah. Okay. Golly, look at that. Look at, I think we're breaking records here. Uh, the other way. We're breaking records the other way, which is good. Now, do you want to do, do you, should we do a conundrum? I don't. So, but what, what well, we um, one possibility is what I brought up earlier is will Bayorn be at the Battle of Dal Guldur? Oh, yeah, that's a great so? one. Will he, yeah. Let's do that one. Participate yeah. in the Battle of Dal Guldur. That's what, that's what, that'll be our conundrum yep. for this episode. Okay, cool. I'm going to put it right under the riddle. So that's it. Anything else? I mean, I think we've, we've kind of covered the, um, the field here, at least as much as we've got a field, um, you know, we don't have other analyst input. If I do, if we do get analyst input on this one, we'll be sure and share it in a future episode. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so, anything on your end? Do you feel complete on the Bayorn? No, I think we've, I think we've beaten <laughs> they to death. <laughs> okay, well then, listen. I think we're flogging a dead Bayorn. Thank you for joining us in this very first <laughs> flogging a dead Bayorn. Yes, flogging a dead Bayorn. Oh, we could start a whole new set of adages, couldn't we? Uh, don't look a gift in the mouth. We sure could. <laughs> <laughs> don't look a gift Bayorn in the mouth, yeah. Um, so thank you, listeners, for listening to episode, uh, Digest episode 2.01. And Laura, your job in the episode, I'm passing the baton to you to do the traditional Tolkien Professor 
Sunday. All right. Well, thanks for listening and Godspeed.